We are so excited to share this space with Stephen Johnson, who is a Korean adoptee and a new father to a seven-month-old son. We first heard Stephen share some of his experiences of being a new dad on a panel at the Kong Conference titled Becoming Appa. We were fascinated by the conversation and wanted to continue to explore fatherhood and the unique issues and experiences that come up from this perspective as an adoptee parent. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. As we begin our conversation together, we are curious about where you are now as a parent and what are the top two adoptee parenting themes that you are experiencing and are meditating on? Well, thank you guys for having me here. And I, I want to say also just for all the effort it takes to make something like this happen, it's so important and so helpful, not just for our broader community, but I think for me personally to help kind of process parenthood overall. And, you know, I just want to say that I, I feel so grateful that I get to be a, a father to my son. I, you know, as an adoptee, I, I'm well aware that not everyone in the world gets to parent their own children, unfortunately. And I do, I feel like very honored and I feel like it's a, a sacred relationship. I think what I'm I'm thinking about or what I'm meditating on or realizing these days is that there are no days off in parenthood. And at this point, at this point in, in my son's life, he really needs me to be my very best version of myself. I've read a, a lot of parenting books and I'm, I'm re really into like self-help kind of books and I uh, went deep on, uh, you know, I read probably like seven or eight parenting books and joined, you know, we took like classes and groups and there are like, you know, endless philosophical spectrums on sleep training and containers and pacifiers and like, baby led weaning. And I think we all as parents want to do the best thing we can with whatever knowledge that we have. I was thinking about kind of like the, you know, you're when you're on a, a plane, like the flight attendant stops in your aisle and says like, you know, pull your oxygen mask for yourself first and then put it over your child. And I feel like I've, I've never understood that better than I, I do now. You know, I'm thinking about things like scaling back things in my life. And I'm more focused, I think, on some of the more mundane kind of things, just like eating healthier and exercising more and meditating and removing just stressful things and, and people in my life. I used to be kind of uh, an overachiever or like really social and, and would had a lot of FOMO about a lot of things. And and now I just really want to do the really the small things like really well and just be balanced and consistent. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm out these days in terms of parenthood or, or fatherhood, I guess. Love that. I know FOMO is so real. And I these days, have you heard of JOMO, the joy of missing out and how I think maybe as what I'm hearing too, how it, it gets really, it's kind of nice when you can really just finally dial in on the things that really I'm hearing mean the most to you, right? Or that you can be the best version of yourself so you can show up for your child and for yourself and the ways that feel really good. I think what you are also saying is a lot of the general kind of parenting and the different, yeah, there's so many different schools of thought and books and philosophies and, you know, for just being a parent generally overall. And I think, you know, what 
we're specifically so curious about in, in our, our podcast too is, you know, what is it like to be an adoptee parent? What is it like to be an adoptee father um, more specifically? And, and, you know, what was that experience like when you were, you know, witnessing that alongside your wife, your partner, and, you know, watching her physically change or just the things that came up for you as you evolved and are evolving into becoming a, a father and a parent? The the pregnancy was especially challenging for us because of COVID, because we're in a, a global pandemic. I think we always envisioned a lot of people around us and friends and family and, you know, being able to share in community with other families. And, you know, we were able to do that t- to some degree, but, you know, the, the entire pregnancy was during the pandemic and at different peaks. So we, you know, a lot of our community was through things like this or, or through Zoom. And I think as I was kind of going through my own evolution of, of like imagining myself as a parent too and and preparing for parenthood, I just, I got really stressed out about everything being like perfect. There's so many things that you have to do to like lead up to welcoming a, a baby into the world. And, you know, it really just I had to sit back and and reflect on on kind of why does everything have to be perfect and what is it about that and me that that is like causing this and what I came to is that it, it was just so important for me that my son knew that like everything was ready for him like that it wasn't just like that the world like we were prepared for him and that we were like intentional about like welcoming him you know up until the last minute yeah, I was just stressing about like, oh, then the nursery is not perfect or like this took a while for me to settle down and just enjoy like the special time with my wife and, and the anticipation without being like too stressed about everything. I can relate to that. I think, you know, as an adoptee mom myself, there's this there not only is there this kind of natural nesting mode, I guess, quote unquote, that happens for a lot of people, I think, when preparing for labor and delivery, but definitely that added adoptee piece where there's at least, I guess I'll speak for myself, anxiety kind of that gets wrapped up in it too, that maybe kind of puts it a little bit on steroids or just wanting to really have a different story for you know, my child, which was, I was ready for you. I wanted you. I was prepared and all of the things were set up and I was ready to really take care of you for the rest of my life, which may have been the case for my birth mother. But for so many of us, the narrative is not that, whether that's manufactured or real. You know, something that you you said during the con conference on the Becoming Appa panel really stood out to both Robin and I about when you realized that your son was four months old, the same age that you were when you arrived as an adoptee um, in the States. And this has been a theme that we've noticed um, across so many parents um, that when their child becomes the age that they were when they were adopted, there's a lot of feelings. You said on the panel that you remember, you know, you, you were picturing yourself at the age, like flying alone on an airplane and just how how poignant and and profound that was and i was just wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe elaborating a little bit more about your thoughts and feelings around that time and and or if you did anything to mark that time and yeah how that maybe affects kind of the way that you feel 
Yeah, or if it changed the way you felt about your adoption. When when my son was four months old, we we actually flew on a plane with him to L.A. to go to a, a friend's wedding. You know, he was the same age that I was. I remember, well, part of me was thinking, okay, you know, the, the kind of practical father in me was thinking like, okay, you know, how are we going to just fly with him? It's his first time flying, our first time flying with him. And so a lot of my mind was just focused on like, okay, just how do we do this like logistically and without him, you know, just losing his mind or, or us like losing our minds. I, it wasn't until we were kind of mid-flight and he was just asleep and everything was fine. But I, I you know, I started to reflect. I think it did, it gave me some assurance thinking like, okay, he's going to be fine because I did this and I was like completely by myself. And was his age. But I do remember, you know, sitting on the flight and he was asleep and my wife was asleep and reflecting to myself like, wow, like I I was, you know, that small or like, you know, I was just looking like like him as a baby like flying on a plane all the way from Korea and difficult. It's a really difficult thing to think back on how vulnerable I was at that point in my life. And what makes it hard to think about is just there were just so many things that could have gone wrong. Like I, you know, my son had both my wife and I, and we were just completely like laser focused on on him to to get him through the flight. You know, it makes feel like no one was responsible for you. Like who was taking care of me? And so it, a long time ago, before I was reunited, before I found my my birth family, and when I was searching for them, I ended up filing a FOIA request as part of like my search process. And some of the information I got back, I, I had never seen before. I got like a little CD disc in the mail from like the Department of Homeland Security. And it had like some digitized documents. And in some of those documents was uh, the name of the woman who was volunteering on my flight and held me from Korea to the United States. Uh, this woman, Lois Abernathy or something like that. And um, and so I, I tracked her down. I, I ended up, I, I found her on Facebook and she had seven friends <laughs> and uh, I messaged her, didn't hear anything back. And I messaged all her friends. <laughs> and finally, I heard back from uh, this woman who said, you know, Lois was my grandmother. And she was, you know, this woman who lived in Atlanta. And she said that her Lois, her grandmother had passed away many years ago. But that this was something that she did. She was, a, I think, a missionary in Korea. And on her flights back and forth, she would hold babies. And that was like, just what she did. And, and so it's just, you know, I just thought a lot uh, on that flight with my son, as he's the same age. And I'm and just so dependent on me. And I, I just thought about how did I end up with with her? And, and just there's just so many questions that that went through my mind. And it's, it's just a special kind of unsettling feeling, I think, to, to know, uh, and to, to think about. Yeah, I think so many of us can resonate with that special, uncomfortable kind of feeling, right? Or just knowing what, oh, my gosh, as you were describing that flight and embodying, you know, this, your four month old self, or just imagining Lois and 
Uh, may Lois rest in power, um, you know, but just, you know, her bringing you and accompanying you and taking care of your needs. And I mean, you know, now as a, a four month, when your son was four months old, kind of the needs that he was going through. And so I think, yeah, I, I just hearing that and, and thinking of all of the other individuals that in um, an adoptee's life, right, maybe were part of that process of, you know, uprooting and then also, but caring for us in times of, you know, on a flight or in transition, you know, I, I'm thinking when you were sharing that too, Stephen, about I volunteered at the Angel Babies Home in Eastern Welfare's uh, agency in Korea and would go and just hold the babies, you know, because I also had kind of this curiosity about, wow, you know, who's taking care of, you know, these babies in between her and, and wondering where are they going, you know, where are they off to and knowing that they were kind of you know, in this in-between space, um, in this liminal space. And so, yeah, it just, I think, I don't know, just really brought up that feeling of understanding how vulnerable, like you said, these little babies or also your child was at um, four months old. Thank you for sharing that moment and just elaborating more about what came up for you and what that was like. And also, you know, how neat full circle that you were able to actually locate Lois. That's really a unique experience as well. You know, something that you mentioned, I want to also kind of go back to just mentioning about being in reunion and really thinking about, you know, what a unique experience that is, you know, as an adoptee, but also how, you know, has your relationship with your birth family changed, you know, even since becoming a father, how maybe you shared that news with them, how was it received, how have you continued to cultivate you know, the relationship between your birth family and now even as your son is getting older? So my, my birth family, I don't have a lot of contact with these days and I can't exactly pinpoint why. I, I think it's mostly because we just have, we all have busy lives and it's it's hard to just communicate with each other. Reconnected with my birth family in 2010. We met for the first time in, in 2014 initially like for the the first year there was a lot of communication we were just constantly in touch and a lot of it was because i i had a my younger sister spoke english fairly well and and so she was kind of the gatekeeper in a lot of ways between you know me and the rest of the family and and could kind of translate and help navigate and and she also was younger and had didn't have a family and had time i think to invest in you know all those relationships she actually passed away in in 2015 you know it was really hard for me at the time not just the loss of a a family member but also i think the loss of a connection to the rest of my family and so i really since that time our communication and relationship i think has has just kind of dwindled um and i I think too my birth mom i i I can tell just something just changed in her like after my sister passed away like it it just you know and i think i understand that more now that i'm a parent even like the the loss of a child and and myself and then the loss of another child and as an adult i don't know if she's the same or, or will ever be the same or you know obviously there's just so much loss and and trauma and so the relationship i think has changed and and evolved because of of that as well 
but I and I, I have an older sister too, and she has two young kids. And so I, I do stay connected with her, mostly just kind of around holidays, and you know we'll kind of send photos of our kids back and forth. But it's you know our communication is pretty limited. So it's they they know I told them that um, you know we were pregnant that we you know everybody's healthy and we'll send pictures. We really want to go visit. Whenever we're all together, I feel like the communication is a lot easier, despite like, you know, my poor Korean skills and, and their limited English abilities. Like it, it just feels different to like sit down at a table and like share a meal together and have that connection. I think our son is is a little bit too young still. And then obviously he's he's not vaccinated. And so we're we're trying to wait until he can either do that or he gets older to where it's or or the pandemic situation gets better but it has been i i just i so i'm so excited for him to meet his his korean family too i I feel like that was a big driving factor for me and wanting to find my my family was was you know wanting my if i did have children at some point for them or or to to just be able to know a, a little bit more about that side of their themselves and so I, I'm excited for them to meet and to get to know each other. And I, I do hope that we can continue to cultivate that relationship. You know, it's, it's just hard. It, I'm, I'm also just terrible at, at keeping in touch with people in general. And so I think adding in a whole other side of the family makes it hard too. I think reunion is, is so challenging because it's, it's so different for everybody. Like there's not a, a handbook or a prescription or there's not a way to do it every step of the way feels like I'm, I'm the first person that's ever done this in like the history of the world or something like it just everything just feels like unfamiliar and new and there's so few people that I can talk to about it that understand it and I'm tempted to kind of just say like it's been challenging but I'm hopeful or like things will get better or something but I I just want to say that it's it's challenging <laughs> that's so real you know and so much of adoption is about that ambiguousness and being left with unreconciled feelings, unreconciled experiences, and having to sit with that in a really uncomfortable space for a very, very long time, sometimes an entire lifetime. I think we're here for, you know, the just kind of like whatever comes up and sometimes it doesn't have the but plus happy ending or something like that. And so I can really, I really respect that. So thank you. I am curious, you know, for you, and maybe you can clarify here if you're in reunion with your birth father, but also just in our community, in the adoptee community, it seems like birth fathers are often invisibilized, even if people, you know, end up becoming uh, reunited with birth fathers. That narrative really is a lot about birth mothers and then also motherhood of adoptees as well and birth process and that. And so, yeah, we just kind of, it seems like we tend to focus on, on mothers and that act of giving us up as babies or children. And also there's this piece too, um, you know, this is part of my story where some of us are very unclear about whether or not our birth fathers, where they are, but also if they even know that we exist in the first place. And so there can be this sense of, you know, that if he did know that I existed, maybe he would want to be a part of this, but I don't even know about that. 
So anyway, it just can seem like birth fathers kind of tend to sink into the background just in, in fantasy and, and even in thought and discussion and emotional connection. And just wondering for you as now a dad, you know, what the, what what is coming up for you and if your thoughts on your birth father have changed um, or your relationship if you are in a union with him um, and just kind of that whole kind of narrative piece where there's kind of an absence. Like what? Yeah, I that is a... A great question, and I'm I'm not in reunion with my my birth father. I connected with my mother, and I've I've asked her several times about my birth father, and she she just won't share a lot of info for whatever reason. I I, I think you know that time in her life was especially hard, and she's said things like you know I just I don't even want to say his name. You know, so I was like, well, can you write it down? <laughs> and like I was, you know, I, I, it's it's a hard balance, I think, because I I want to I want to know more information. <laughs> like it's just something inside of me. Like I described it before, like an itch that, you know, like you can never really scratch. And and so there's that. And then the other side is also just wanting to respect her and her boundaries and her own sense of self and not wanting to um, and also just like not understanding like cultural things between older Korean women and you know like me who, who grew up in, in Texas and I've told her like I'm gonna keep asking you <laughs> and she each time she tells me a, a little bit more you know the, the first time I asked her she said like um, I don't want to talk about it the second time I asked her she said um, I'll I'll tell you more like when you get older and then you know the, the next time I asked her and she told me a little like you know they she worked in a a fish market and that he was kind of a, a customer and and that's about all all that I know so I I'm, I have so many questions but I, I don't have a lot of answers there I think back to your question on on just like the overall discourse it is you know it's it's interesting because the I feel like birth Mothers are often forgotten in, in a lot of adoption discourse, and fathers are are forgotten so much so that we don't even really think of them as like a birth parent. It's it's just by default we just kind of talk about birth mothers, and I think a lot of times for good reason. I mean, we talk about the birth mothers because fathers are often you know out of the proverbial picture, and so you know, and and I'm I'm not one of these like woe is me like men have it so hard kind of people <laughs> like this kind of like reverse oppression speak or something like like I, I definitely think there's like a unique you know motherhood is is unique on its own I don't know why birth fathers are are forgotten like I, I even as I was growing up I, I never really thought about my <laughs> birth father that much and and I don't know I don't know why <laughs> till I, I got older and and really even in once I became a, a father, fatherhood is, is just, it's really hard to meet other dads. I, <laughs> and not just to meet other dads, but to, I think, to engage with other fathers as fathers or around fatherhood. Like, I'm, I'm not just talking about like a guy's night out or like, a, I, I, like I want to hang out with dads with our kids together. And, or like, I want to hang out with dads who want to also be, you know, like really good dads. And, it, and it's just like, to find a community like that for for me has been 
really challenging, I think, especially like adoptive fathers. I, I think that's why I was so drawn towards the con discussion. It was just such a unique opportunity to build a relationship with other fathers, you know, and we were all so different, but we we all kind of came together around this topic of fatherhood as adoptees and birth fathers together. I don't know. It's just interesting because like, like when my wife meets another mom, there's just this instant unique connection and they're just like suddenly like you know best friends and you know and and i don't know if it's just me or like the nature of men versus women or like fatherhood versus motherhood but i i do wish there were better ways i think to meet other dads where we're just not talking about work or acting like we don't like our families or like you know just going out to get drinks or something i don't know fatherhood just seems to be something that this like mysterious elusive thing that is also like so common <laughs> thank you for naming that you know just all of the different ways that fatherhood can feel isolating in different ways, you know, can be really uplifting in many. And, and also there's that, I'm hearing a longing for this connection of, of really, especially not only being a dad, but then again, the added layer of, you know, being able to connect with other adoptee dads who really get and understand these different areas like you just spoke about, you know, if you're in reunion, what is that like? Or if you're not, or, you know, and I think that's why also, we were both so drawn to that conversation as well. You know, we hear, I think, a lot more about the motherhood aspects of it, you know, and just really even in the literature, you know, just seeing so many different resources and emphasis around that. And so I think that made it, you know, a, a big curiosity about what is that like, you know, for the adoptee father experiencing pregnancy or even postpartum. I mean, we know even the research shows that postpartum depression is absolutely real for fathers um, and partners and loved ones. But that, again, is not talked about either, right? I know that there's already a stigma around postpartum depression and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, but really that to be able to acknowledge that um, you're going through your own experience as well, I think is really powerful. You know, and I think that leads us into that question. And I almost heard you say one thing about that of longing for wishing that there were more spaces or opportunities to connect with other adoptee dads. But what other, you know, hopes or wishes that you have for fellow or future maybe BIPOC adoptee dads? Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up postpartum uh, anxiety and depression too. I, I and, and this kind of is a good segue into also my my hopes for other fathers. Like I, I definitely had a period after our son was born where I had such such a strong amount of anxiety and like depressive moods. And you know, I, I think I just I, I was taking on so much and I was I felt like I was trying to be like this superhero for my wife and also like be like this everything father and also just, you know, like do everything that I possibly could. And I, I just wore myself out. And I, I you know, I, I definitely had a lot of anxiety around, like, am I going to be a good parent? Or, you know, what does it mean to be a good parent? And how can I, you know, do all of these things that are expected of me, and put all this pressure on myself. And so I, 
you know, I think that's why when we open this, just talking about like focusing on just the small things, like I spent a lot of time, you know, getting back to living a balanced life again, like, you know, going to therapy and like I started going to acupuncture and, you know, researching like different types of supplements and exercising like, like daily and meditating. And I, I just, I, I, my hope for other dads, I, I think, uh, especially adoptee dads is just to, to not be afraid to just take stock of your, your own health and wellness and that it's, it's okay to focus on yourself. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's one of the things that I, I hope other people can do sooner and be more prepared for because it is i mean parenthood is just so hard by itself it's even harder when you have anxiety and when you're struggling to feel like yourself and i think you know like most parents like your your hope is to gift your children with a better life in a lot of ways and whatever that means a lot of times you know it's like a better financial sense um I think as adoptees, we're kind of uniquely positioned to give our children like this gift of knowing where they came from. And so I I, I think, you know, for other adoptee parents too, or, or fathers especially, like I I would hope that they would explore and, and kind of who they are and, and their own sense of self so that we can give that to our, our children. Like give them like, like I want to give my, my son the confidence of you know to be comfortable in his his own skin he's going to be biracial and and kind of the racialized world that we live in i hope that i can give him the tools to navigate yeah just to navigate a world that won't always understand him and so i i think my hope or my wish for for kind of all of us is is that you know that we can be the best possible version of ourselves that we can take stock of uh, what that means and what we need to do to to get there and and I think also that we can just be there for each other and support each other and you know continue to grow this community that I think you guys are are onto here. Stephen, thank you. Those are such profound wishes for fellow BIPOC adoptee dads. Just the self care piece that you mentioned at the beginning, um, just so key, and also really kind of this really incredible adoptee superpower that we have, you know, about getting to the core of what really is important to pass on, you know, a deep sense of self, a deep sense of groundedness in your identity, being able to pass on these birth stories that we all don't have, these things that so many people that are not adopted take for granted, that we get to gift our children uh, with so much love out of a place that we deeply know uh, that we're, that we are missing, that we deeply know it's important, and just loving that so much, and the way that you articulate your, like Robin was saying, your longing, but also what you're doing, which is to be the best that you can be for your family, for your son, for yourself, and then yeah, building building a community so that those wishes and those intentions are shared for you and for all the people that you are close to or long to be close to. So thank you. 
uh, what are the other labors of love that you are doing in your life right now, aside from parenting? Or maybe a lot yeah. alongside parenting. <laughs> yes, yeah, alongside. I love this question. I started a small side hustle about a year and a half ago, and I, I built a Makali homebrew kit that I sell online and on Amazon and on a my website. So it's kind of an e-commerce type thing. Makali is it's a traditional Korean alcohol for anybody who is out there listening and and not sure what I'm talking about. It is, in my opinion, Korea's oldest and and best tradition. And it's uh, hard to find in Western markets. And so when I was in Korea with my family, it was something that we shared together that I had never really had before, before then. And I remember coming back to the US and trying to find it and not being able to find the type of makgeolli that I liked or that I thought tasted good. So I started to to make it at home and one thing led to another and I eventually started uh, making a lot of it. And then I, I started making these little kits that I would give to other people to help them make it. And and then I, I just thought, okay, like, let me just like make something and sell it. And so I, yeah, I've got just hundreds of these things in my garage <laughs> now and, and I'm selling them online. Uh, but I, I named the company Hessen House after uh, my sister who passed away that I, I mentioned earlier. So uh, for me, I think a lot of this project, is, you know, it's, it's about me wanting to learn more about Korea and about my own origin story. And it's also about me not wanting to forget my sister too. I, I, I think I, early on, I just felt like, like I, you know, I only got to know her for a year. You know, I was just figuring out how to pronounce her name and I wanted, you know, to be able to kind of honor her story, but also for myself to continue to, you know, now I, I see her name and I, I say it on a daily basis and it helps me to remember kind of her story. And so it's, you know, it's deeper than, than I think just uh, an e-commerce side project, but it's also fun and I've, I've learned a lot and have really enjoyed it, but it's been, definitely been a labor of love, I'll say. Yeah, it's an incredible labor of love. And I think, you know, thank you for sharing also the connection that you have not only to the name, so Hesan House, and just the relationship with your sister and honoring her, and we're holding her in this space as well, and just the labor of love and the, the gift that that is continuing to give to others, you know, I think is so beautiful and, and so special and, and just really want to acknowledge that that is a tremendous labor of love, an emotional one too, for you to really, really make such a, a deeper underlying connection that maybe those who don't know about Makali or when they first hear about it, don't know the complexity behind it, right? Or, or the ways in which you created this, this gift to the broader community. Um, so thank you so much for, for creating that and continuing to provide that for so many others and the advocacy and awareness around that as, as well. And um, I think that's such a special uh, labor of love and gift to our, not only our community, but to the broader 
community as well, because I've seen on different sites that that is going all over the world. So how neat to see your labor of love being spread and his son's, you know, life also being sprinkled all over in so many ways that we're going to raise our Makoli glasses and honor you um, both. So thank you for all of those beautiful contributions and aside, aside, you know, and alongside being a parent, um, because that's also an incredible labor of love. So we want to really just, again, acknowledge and thank you so much for being in connection today, Stephen, with us and having the opportunity to explore even deeper conversations and hear, you know, just such powerful ways in which you are transforming and becoming and even more enhancing uh, yourself and being the best father and person that you can be. And um, thank you for such insightful conversation around the different aspects of being a, a BIPOC adoptee father. Um, there's so many unique aspects of that. So thank you for for coming into the space today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me and for, again, just for making the space for these types of conversations. Uh, we, I mean, we're all getting older and as we go through our different life stages, you know, it's interesting to me how we all come together to support each other. And, and I, I feel like adoptees are, are kind of like my, my people, like my, uh, my extended family. And so I want to just toast to you guys as well, just for, for all the work that you guys are doing and putting into this. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I feel the same way. Just, um, you know, being in kinship with all of us, all 200,000 plus of us, you know, uh, we have such a unique story, shared trauma, shared ancestry, you know, in terms of the Korean adoptees and a lot of similar stories and similar experiences that feel like, you know, long lost brothers and sisters. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you again so much. And thank you for tuning into our podcast. And if you are into what you're hearing, please spread the word and invite friends to like us, follow us and share us on Instagram at labor of love podcast. And if you want to support our podcast, you can Venmo us at labor of love podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.